Hello there, and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes, and this is a podcast series that looks at the Crusades from the Byzantine angle. I think it's often forgotten that the Byzantines were the real reason why the First Crusade happened. Why? Because Byzantium appealed for help to the West to save it from destruction by the Seljuk Turks. Now, another largely forgotten story is why Byzantium collapsed in the 11th century. The pivotal point for this was the Battle of Manzikert in 1071, and what we're looking at at the moment is how and why this battle took place. I think it's a fascinating story. In the last podcast, we've covered the rise to power of the Seljuk Turks and the battle between them and the Byzantines for Armenia. The Seljuks won and started to raid into Byzantine Anatolia, which today is modern Turkey, but a thousand years ago it was Greek and one of the most important parts of the medieval Christian world. Where we are now is the new Byzantine emperor, Romanos Diogenes, is marshalling a new army to strike back at the Turks. And the next few podcasts will tell that story. If you like military history, you're in for a treat, because you'll be hearing about a lot of battles. But even if you don't, I think you'll find that it's a very human story about courage, conviction, love, and ultimately betrayal. It's certainly a story I think is very moving. It's also a story you won't read about in detail in the history books. Indeed, the main source, which is an account by a Byzantine senator, was only translated into English by Harvard University in 2012. What you're going to hear is based on that account and what other evidence we have. As before, I'll read extracts from my book called The Byzantine World War, which was published last year in 2019. So, let's go. Hope you enjoy it. When Romanus was made emperor, he didn't waste time enjoying the luxuries of his newfound power. He left Constantinople as soon as his administrative duties were finished and crossed over the Bosphorus in early March 1068 to assemble an army to confront the Turks. He set up his headquarters in Cappadocia, the heart of Byzantine Anatolia, and home to his family estates. There he mustered all the troops he could find. The senator who accompanied him on campaign, Michael Ataliates, described the pathetic conditions of these once proud regiments. Quote, it was something to see the famous units and their commanders now composed of just a few men, and these bent over by poverty and lacking in proper weapons and war horses. End quote. By the 1060s, the Eastern Army, previously the backbone of Byzantine military power, had effectively shrunk to garrison units defending the main cities such as Melitene, Mansikert and Theodosiopolis along the Cappadocian and Armenian border and Antioch and Edessa in the south along the Syrian border. Romanus was appalled by this sad state of affairs. He was a member of the Cappadocian military aristocracy that had led the Eastern Army in the 10th century when the emperors Nicephorus Phocas and John Simiskes had humbled the Abbasid Caliphate. His rebellion in 1067 had one real objective, to stop the rot and restore the Eastern Army to its former glory. 
Although the task must have seemed almost impossible, there was one hope. The Byzantine army had always been divided between east and west, and in the west there still existed a reduced but fairly effective army. This had always been loyal to the reigning emperor and therefore had survived better than its eastern cousin, which was dominated by the rebellious Cappadocian aristocracy. It was also badly needed to contain the barbarian attacks in the west in the 1040s to 60s by the Pechenegs and Oghuz Turks. The western army retained much of the old military structure containing the last remaining elite cavalry regiments, the Scoli and Excubitors, as well as local levies from Thrace and Greece. Importantly for Romanus, it was also particularly loyal to him, since he had been one of its most popular generals, and its soldiers even swore an oath to obey him when he was made emperor. Romanus's aim was to revive the eastern army by using the western army as recruiting sergeants and instructors. To help him do this, he took the Western Army out of the Balkans, he instructed its commanders to find peaceful solutions to the conflicts on the Empire's western borders along the Danube and in Italy. He left as few troops as possible in the west and sent almost no reinforcements to help the hard-pressed army holding out in Italy against the Normans. In early 1068, he set about recruiting young men from the countryside and cities in the east, offering them good pay and equipment. He put experienced soldiers from the Western Army in command of these raw recruits, carefully choosing suitable commanders. The whole process took several months so that he wasn't ready to move the new army until around May, but by then he'd put together a large army, probably about 20,000 strong. This was one of the largest armies that Byzantium had fielded in the 11th century. The last time a similar-sized force had gone on the offensive was in the 1030s, when the capable general George Maniaces had captured Edessa in Syria, as well as parts of Sicily, before being recalled by a jealous emperor. The bulk of the army was the newly trained Cappadocian regiments, which were ethnically Greek. The elite troops were the cavalry, consisting of the sons of the Cappadocian and other Anatolian landowners and magnates. They came from wealthy families rich enough to afford good quality armour and horses. Although the armour wasn't as formidable as that worn by the cataphracts a century ago, they were equipped with either chainmail tunics or a sleeveless cuirass, usually of scale armour. They wore iron helmets and carried shields, either oval or kite-shaped, and as well as lances, swords and maces. Most of the soldiers, however, were infantry. Armenian infantry are mentioned frequently in Byzantine sources and constituted an important part of Romanus's army. They were particularly tough soldiers, survivors of the genocidal warfare in Armenia with the Turks, and Romanus would use them repeatedly as stormtroopers in sieges to batter the enemy gates down. The rest of the infantry were peasants from Cappadocia and the other Anatolian themes organised into heavy 
and light infantry. The heavy infantry wore thick padded or quilted garments and thick caps made of felt and carried large round or kite-shaped shields with spears, swords, axes and iron maces. Although they didn't have the heavy armour of their distant cousins, the Roman legionaries, they were still very well drilled and trained. Light infantry principally consisted of archers armed with composite or compound bows copied from the Huns in the 4th century. Mounted archery skills had disappeared in the Byzantine army by the 11th century, but the infantry archers were still a force to be reckoned with. The Byzantine bows were sophisticated weapons with a flight range estimated at 300 metres, although the killing range would have been less. There were also javelin throwers and slingers who were used for skirmishing as well as supporting the heavy infantry and archers. The army was organised into units directly descended from those of the Roman legions. This had evolved over the centuries so that by the 11th century the main operational unit was called the Bandum, which probably consisted of 200 men. Units of 1,000 soldiers were called a drungus, although by the 11th century such large units had almost ceased to exist. However, Romanus may have reintroduced them given the large size of the army he created. Also directly descended from the Roman legions was a culture of discipline and training that had been eroded in the 11th century but is still visible in the records of Romanus's campaigns. Most conspicuous of these was the building of extensive military camps when the army was on campaign. This was very rare for any army to do in the Middle Ages, but for the Byzantines, the Roman dedication to building palisades behind moats to protect their camps had survived as a core requirement for an army on the march, and there is no doubt that this practice survived into Romanus's reign. Although Romanus's aim was to revive the regular Greek regiments of the Eastern Army, he still employed reasonably large numbers of mercenaries. For example, a unit of Varangians is mentioned fighting in the first Syrian campaign, which we will get onto in the next podcast, although most of them most of the Varangians were probably left in Constantinople to guard the capital. Norman cavalry are mentioned in Romanus's future campaigns, if not the first one in 1068. He also used as light cavalry the close cousins of the Seljuk Turks, the Pechenegs and Ogres Turks. In the spring of 1068, Romanus led his new army out of Cappadocia towards Armenia to give battle to the Sultan. Romanus had many supporters, especially in the eastern provinces. In Cappadocia itself, he was a local hero, and the families of the magnates and great landowners regarded him as their saviour. His new regiments would have inspired pride in the faces of the cheering onlookers as they marched past. Row after row of fresh-faced young men riding their war horses, the light glinting off newly forged iron swords and freshly painted shields. Their families cheering them on, 
parents, proud but worried, excited sisters with jealous younger brothers, banners and pennants blowing in the wind, many dating back to the regiments of old, they marched east in their thousands. They were, in effect, the last descendants of the Roman legions. And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be amazing to leave a rating. Thank you very much. In the next episode, we'll hear what happens when Romanus takes his army into battle for the first time. And beware a spoiler here. Yes, he wins a major victory for the Byzantines. Thank you very much.